This is the Plant Advice Gardening Podcast, Episode 19, The Malvern Autumn Flower Show and Gardening Jobs and Plants of Interest for October. Plantadvice.co.uk for all your gardening needs. Hello and welcome to the Plant Advice Gardening Podcast with me, Richard Farrer. And me, Sue Mack. This is the podcast to help you get the very best out of your garden with our regular features such as jobs to do in the garden and plants of note for this time of year. Coming up in this episode, we have a review of the Malvern Autumn Flower Show together with an interview with Luke Whiting, who comes from the company called Darcy Everest, and they specialise in alpines and sempervivums. We have our plant of the month for October, which is Eunonymus Europaeus Red Cascade, sometimes called the spindle tree. We have jobs to do in the garden and the vegetable garden. Our plants of note for October are Amelanchia lamarckii, which is a June berry, and Cotinus grace, sometimes also called the smoke bush. We also have forthcoming garden and flower shows for October. So October is here. We are undoubtedly into autumn now, aren't we? Well, you keep saying autumn, but it still feels like summer at the moment. It does feel like summer. We've had an unseasonably warm September, but the plants are definitely turning. The trees are going golden, they're losing their leaves, so they know it's autumn. Oh, for sure. Like when we went to the Malvern Autumn Show, I couldn't get over the colours on the motorway of all the trees. It was absolutely beautiful. It is beautiful, isn't it? It's a very colourful month, but not for flowers. It's more the foliage which we get for this time of year, isn't it? Exactly. But it's all the reds, the oranges. It's just beautiful. And I think in North America, the East Coast, around about New York, the fall there must be spectacular. I've never witnessed it myself, but it's a place I would love to see at this time of year. Oh, definitely. I do like the way they call it the fall because it is about the trees turning and then the leaves falling. Yes, they lose their leaves. Oh, it must be amazing to see it like that. And we see it here and it's beautiful and it is like nothing compared to the scale there. Yeah, it must be absolutely beautiful. But there are flowers which are still in flower at this time of year. There's the Cyclamen heterofolium, which we talked about in episode 7 of our podcast, which is last October. You can listen to that if you like by getting the address plantadvice.co.uk slash episode 7. And we've just bought a couple of those, haven't we, Sue? We have bought a couple, and the reason we bought them is because they are hardy in winter. And still are colourful. So we're going to empty out some of the pots with all the summer bedding plants and put some nice flowers in. Winter Not flowering just yet, pansies. Though. No, no, we're, because the we're, flowers we're for summer are still flowering. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Now the cyclamen hedrofolium we talked about last year. We do talk about these plants in a podcast, and when I was doing a podcast with my friend George, he has a much greater horticultural knowledge than I do. And it's introduced me to a lot of plants I never would have come across. And I didn't realise header is from Latin for ivy, and folium means leaf. 
And the leaves of the cyclamen and heterofolium really do look like ivy, don't they? They do. It's amazing. We saw some of those at the Melvin Autumn Show. We did, and they had a huge selection. Yeah. I wanted to buy some, but we were running running late on time. We so had much to, to see, wasn't there? It's an interesting show, the Melvin Morton show. Didn't have any show gardens like some of the other shows. No. But it did have a lots of shopping experiences. I think, personally, it is just more about the shopping. Well, you say that they did have a massive display of fruit and vegetables, some just for the sheer size and scale of them. But for you couldn't ex- eat it. No, you couldn't. For example, they had the heaviest UK cabbage, which clocked in at 56.4 kilograms, and that beat the 1988 record for UK. And they also had the world's longest beetroot, which was 6.673 metres. The beetroot didn't look much, but it was no. just really all thin, Well, it's the root, root, isn't it? It's not the actual beetroot, the beet. It's the root it that is. just went on forever. It's amazing how they grow these things. I mean, I know it's about the biggest and heaviest. You couldn't possibly eat that stuff because it must have it gone can't, past yeah, its Yeah, it can't time. taste nice. No. But as well as the heaviest and the biggest, they did also have the, the categories best. for the best. Yes. And they were amazing. Oh, and the baskets of fruit were absolutely stunning. They were beautiful. There's a lot of pride goes into that, I think. Oh, definitely. And I mean, you can see they did focus on that. But I think ultimately there was a lot of shopping. (laughs) (laughs) And we didn't even get around at all to see it all. No, we didn't. Last year we went to the Harrogate Autumn Show and they had fruit and veg. But I think the Melvin had a much more impressive display. Yes, I think you're right. But I think, do you think it was bigger? Size-wise, probably yes, the size of the showground. They didn't have show gardens. They had a few at Harrogate. I don't know. I suppose it had a lot more shopping, didn't it? Definitely more shopping. So plenty for everybody. Yes. Flowers and shopping. (laughs) Although I did miss the show gardens, but I think being end of the season, it isn't about that anymore. They do feature the, well, the... the I suppose the vegetables, because it is harvest season, isn't it, traditionally? Well, it's autumn, Harvest festivals. Yeah. It's coming up in the church locally in our village. So, yeah, it's a different thing. Yeah, Yeah. Celebrating that, which is good. It was... Well, while we were there, we caught up with Luke Whiting. He comes from a company called Darcy Everest. They specialise in albums and sempervivums. We had a little chat with Luke, which is a bit ironic, because they're only just down the road from us here in Cambridgeshire, aren't they? They are. And we chose to catch up with him all the way down in Malvern, which is a two and a half hour drive for us. Anyway, this is what Luke had to say to me at the Malvern Autumn Show. So, Luke... You work for Darcy and Everest, a nursery specialising in and alpines. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, we have a, a very large selection, which we're always adding to because we're, it's our hobby as well as a, a business. And so whenever we find something unusual. And how did you get into that sort of... Because they're that, quite specialist plants, really, yeah, aren't they? It's specialist generally because a lot of people believe or uh, perceive it as quite hard things to grow. Yeah. And it's a bit like cooking to me. You can cook your baked beans on toast or you can cook your Michelin star. And the same with alpines. You can have your beans on toast going through into your roast dinners or you can get into the Michelin star, which you'll generally kill 99% of the time. But still, you like trying just to get there until you're perfect at it. And if you're trying to mimic the natural conditions, where they come from, where do alpines come from? 
Uh, well, alpines come from every aspect across the world. High altitudes, anything where the tree line stops on a mountain and you see the top of the mountain. So quite harsh, That's, exposed conditions. Yeah, but they can also be very barren. They can have very little precipitation or they can have an awful lot. It really varies where they are in the world. So what sort of soil would you recommend for alpines? And that again, it varies. The general mix that we use for ourselves and to advise people to use is multi-purpose with 50% multi-purpose compost and 50% grit. So you need a lot of grit for the drainage to help Yeah, it's the key thing. They're on the mountainside, so gravity's pulling the the moisture down. So generally the low precipitation that they get or the heavy precipitation is generally flowing through the, the scree. So they don't like soggy feet then, they like to have dry feet really and good drainage. Well, yeah, they, they vary completely. Some plants will tolerate very dry conditions, whereas the majority will actually prefer moist roots as long as it's free draining. So it's, the moisture is always moving. Now we were talking earlier on your stand about when you should water them best, summertime or wintertime because the plant we were looking at was from Drakensberg, wasn't it, in South Africa. The right hypothesis, yeah. yeah. And you were saying then that it's the summertime. Was it the summertime? The, the summertime is very moist, yeah. yeah. Opposite to the way we are, really. Yeah, so, yeah, for that, generally the winter protection for it is perfectly hardy in our country, but you just need to protect it from winter wet. So if you have a really free-draining soil, that's perfect. If you don't have that... You can create a perspex shelter over the top to limit moisture during the winter, or else if it's in a bowl, you can put it into a garage because it is a bowl, so it'll be underground over winter. And you said they also like ericaceous soil, so add a bit of um, yeah, a bit of acidity feed. for yeah. it. We're we're very heavy clay and lime-based soil where we are in the nursery, and so we generally tend to use an azalea feed. Yeah, you're just down the road from us, aren't you? Yeah, We've got it, heavy clay as well. Yeah, and it, it it can be a nightmare to grow, but once you've got it perfectly done, you can add a lot of grit to clay and it disappears. So generally, the best conditions for alpines when you've got heavy clay is to raise the soil up. Right. We've actually made a rock garden that's about 40, 50 foot long and it's made out of solid clay. Really? But because it's raised, it free drains. Okay, gravity's going to take it down. Exactly. Uh, and on your stand, you use a lot of containers for these things. Do you think most people would grow these sort of plants in containers or are they more suitable for borders? So it's about 50-50. Depends where you are in the country. If you have a larger garden, generally tends to be raised beds and rock gardens. When you get somewhere like London, it generally tends to be in containers because you may have a very small courtyard or you may just have a window box or a balcony. And so containers are perfect for that. I think people have limited space. This is an excellent way to have a small little garden, isn't it, with a range of alpines, and you mix the sempervivums in with the alpines, and it makes a fantastic display. Yeah, well, uh, the sempervivums are good. You've got the structure through the winter, and with them as well, the deep reds and deep purples that everyone's always after, that only comes in during the winter. So as the sempervivum goes through summer... The high UV light levels makes the foliage a lot greener than what it will actually be in the winter and spring months where it's had that cold snap. And where do sempervivums hail from? So they're mainly Mediterranean and within our sempervivum collection we have JV barbers as well and they're going back into South Africa. Most of the varieties that we grow are really hardy. There is JV barbers we used to do but we don't do so well because they're very prone to winter wet. 
And the sempervivums, they, again, like free-draining soil, and do they, if they're from yeah, Mediterranean? Yeah, but they're really tough. Uh, Mediterranean into the European Alps, and pretty much across the board, they'll go down to minus 30 as long as it's uh, free-draining. I don't think we've had that in Cambridgeshire. No, we've no. We've had minus 15, but not minus <laughs> 30. I think I'd move 30. if it went down to minus yeah, 30. that is a bit nippy, isn't it? Yeah. And doesn't the name sempervivum from Latin mean lived long or something like yes. that? Yes. Forever alive, I think, or something like that. Yeah, live long. It's uh, so they are my good, solid, cool. robust plants. That yeah, I think I remember as a kid getting one of these because they send little shoots off, don't they? And then you can break the shoots off. And, and it's very hard and to kill. E- the very things, easy yeah. to propagate. Yeah, yeah. I remember doing that as a young child. Perhaps one of my earliest gardening escapades. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're pretty lucky. We had a large selection that we collected ourselves. So how many different gained... plant species and cultivars? I say do about seven hundred. In your nursery? Uh, we never count, and we just generally split the stock as and when, and we never bother counting the stock. So they're all named varieties, but yeah, it's somewhere between five and 700. That's phenomenal. And next year we have a very good customer of ours that imports from Russia and Germany. So, so you're always trying to look for new, s- new species and cultivars? Yeah. Yeah, we get bored. We see the same thing. Although our customers are never going to buy 700 varieties, we see the same varieties and we get bored. So we're going to get more varieties. And with that many varieties, can you really see such a difference between two different cultivars? Yeah, it's surprising when you let... Because generally with our stock, we'll put them into a polytunnel to limit moisture content because we're growing in different conditions to ideal because we have to grow just in pure compost just to make it easy for us to transport and move around the nursery, whereas everyone else has to have a very free-draining soil. So for us, obviously, to allow us to grow in those conditions, we put them into a polytunnel with the stock plants. When we bring them out in spring, you can definitely see every single variety is different. Oh, you must have a good eye for it then. No, no, you don't need it. Uh, in spring when they have that real sharp colours to them and the crisp pattern lines so and the leaf distinct. shape, you can see them quite so easily. So we could go to your nursery, pick out one particular plant and you could tell us exactly which it is. Well, I could probably tell you 150 of the 700. <laughs> I haven't got that good a memory. No, that's quite a lot. And do you breed any yourselves? No, we generally, um, because we're a family business, we generally don't have so much time to breed. Uh, we breed like sort of just where we get the sports, but actually to have the time and effort takes an awful lot. The best people breeding are the specialists, and where they've uh, either retired or they're not working because it does take an awful lot of work. And yeah, if they get a good variety, they can make an awful lot of money out of it. But we don't have the time to do that. Now you spend a lot of time. You go to all the shows, don't you? You exhibit at Chelsea, Hampton Court. We see you at a lot of the shows. And you sell your products online as well? Yes, we do. Yeah, we're online. So if anyone listening is interested, they can get to your website. Yeah. And what's your website address? It's www.darcyeverest.co.uk. That's brilliant. So people can get sempervivums and alpine plants directly from you, shipped to the UK. Or if they're near to the nursery, it's better to come to the nursery. You can see the plant that way. Yes. (laughs) That's brilliant. Thank you ever so much, Luke. You're welcome. So they have 700 different varieties, and he thinks he can name 150 of them. I know, that's quite impressive. That that is very impressive, isn't it?
They are a beautiful range of plants, though, and they look really good in containers. We've got a little sink, haven't we, full with some? Yes, but I think the containers he puts together are absolutely stunning, yet they don't sell them like that. No, no, they're very, very creative, aren't they? Very. The stuff he does is lovely. And they've won RHS gold medals for their displays Mm. and stands in the past. I'm sure there's a niche there for their company to maybe... It could well be, yeah. So you can sell containers and things. I guess the shipping cost would be the big issue. If you're local, you Probably could pick them up. Probably that would be our. Uh, maybe that is the reason they don't go into it. Yeah, And maybe. they are quite simple to do because, like I said, we've got one. But his were just so On a different level. And, but then you get ideas, I suppose. You can take ideas away with you and try and create that in your own home. That's a good thing about a lot of these shows, isn't it? You get ideas for your own garden, new plants. For example, we saw a nerine, which is a plant we'd never seen before, which is a member of the Amaryllid family, which also contain agapanthus and allium and daffodils. And they were beautiful. And it does look very similar, mm. a bit more open to an agapanthus, but you can see the similarity. Definitely, but just again had a... It was more pinks, wasn't it? Yeah. A variety of all different shades of pink. It was very pretty. But another plant we've learned, one we can add to the list. Can't find a spot in our garden for that one. (laughs) We're running out, aren't we? Plant of the Month. Now, the plant of the month for October is Euronymus europaeus red cascade, also called the spindle tree. Now, Yonome was the mother of the Furies in Greek mythology, but I don't quite know why they gave that name to the plant. But the common name, its wood was traditionally used for making spindles. I suppose that's why it's called a spindle tree. It is a hardy, deciduous shrub from Europe, as the name Europaeus would suggest. It likes full sun or partial shade and can grow up to three metres tall and two and a half metres wide. It's got an average growth rate, so it can take about 10 to 20 years to achieve full maturity. Its flowers are small and yellow-green-like, and flowers from May to June, so not a long flowering period. But its key feature, and why we're discussing it this month, is its foliage. They're ovalish, dark green leaves, but they turn a bright red in autumn. Really lovely red. It also has rose pink winged fruits, which are about two centimetres, and these remain into winter, so it does add some interest throughout winter as well. It likes well-drained soil, and it has the RHS Award of Garden Merit, but all parts of the plant can be harmful if ingested. Maintenance-wise, you can prune the young plants in mid to late spring to encourage bushy growth and apply a generous mulch of manure or well-rotted garden compost around its base at springtime as well. What do you think to this plant, Sue? It looks very interesting. I don't know whether I've seen it. I'm going to start looking around now wherever I go to see if I can recognise it. But I do like the beautiful gold. It's not golden. It's like a pinky colour on the leaves yeah. isn't it I, I like the fruit as well and particularly if Very the fruit pretty. stays through winter it's going to add some interest because winter can also be a tough time for interest in the garden yes we definitely have to keep our eyes open and see what this one but looks very pretty I do find doing this podcast very helpful and it's really increased my knowledge of plants because we talk about certain plants each month and then when we're going out and about, you you notice them more. Yeah, Yeah, you look at them, you think, ah, yes. I recognise that. Yes, that must be that one, yes. (laughs) No, but it looks very pretty. It does. 
We haven't got space for it, though. No space. It gets too big for our garden. Jobs to do in the garden. Now, jobs to do in the garden. This time of year is an ideal time of year to plant a hedge. Many hedging plants are available to purchase as bare root plants during the autumn months, whereas previously in the year you had to buy them potted. By buying them bare root plants, it makes them much cheaper. To do this, you need to prepare the site carefully for the new hedge and dig in plenty of well-rotted manure or garden compost into your planting trench. Take note, though, of the recommended distances between the plants. These do vary depending on the types of plants you choose. The closer the plants are together, the quicker the hedge will fill out for you. And if you want a thick hedge, why not consider staggering them in a zigzag formation? This really will make the hedge much thicker, being two plants wide, but by staggering them it kind of fills it out a bit more. If you're happy to, you can use native hedging plants in your garden, which will help to encourage wildlife. Once planted, like any other plant, water in the hedge well, especially during its first year of establishment. Earlier on this year we planted a yew hedge, and we've had to keep watering it regularly, haven't we? We have. And we used bare-rooted plants there. The reason we could with those, though, is it was an evergreen tree. And it's looking healthy. It's got us a little bit confused this year, though, hasn't it? Yeah, some of the new trees, they're going a little bit almost like autumn, yes, autumn <laughs> colour. They don't realise that they're actually evergreen and they shouldn't be turning brown. No. So we do hope we haven't lost any, but we're going to try sprinkling some bone meal on the top, aren't we? Yes. To encourage more root growth through winter and hopefully they'll survive and flourish next year. I mean, they are all looking healthy. It's just really turning autumn Bizarre. <laughs> Which is beautiful, but it's not meant to do that. <laughs> no, no. Maybe they're just a bit confused. Autumn is also good to do some treatment of your lawn. Scarification is very useful. It removes the thatch and the moss from in between. This helps aerate and lets ventilation into the root zone, which does encourage the roots to grow. Autumn lawn treatment can also be applied this month. This is specially formulated autumn lawn treatment, which is different to that used during spring and summer because the priority is on strong root growth. So this will be phosphorus-based feed as opposed to a nitrogen-based feed, which would use for the summer months. Also time to continue planting your spring bulbs. Spring flowering bulbs should be planted in the autumn whilst the soil is still frost-free and workable. If it gets a heavy frost, it's not a good time to plant, but too hard to dig as well. Some bulbs can cope better with the wet winter soil than others, so refer to the planting instructions. And if a free draining soil is required, add plenty of grit to the planting hole and around the crowns of the bulbs. This will stop them rotting during the winter months particularly if you've got heavy clay soil like we have. We chuck grit in everywhere, don't we? We do now. We've learned the hard way. We have, yeah. And we've got a friend which is supplying us with 25 daffodil bulbs soon, mm. so we'll be needing to get some more grit, I think. Yes. Time also now. You can spread a net over a garden pond to catch falling leaves. Getting leaves in the pond is not good. It gets too much nitrogen in there, which can promote algal growth. Lift and divide congested herbaceous perennials and keep the vigorous outer shoots. And you can lift and store tender bulbs such as gladioli and dahlias. This month is also good to be planting bare-rooted plants such as roses and raspberries. 
Start to move tender pot-grown plants into frost-free greenhouses or conservatories. Plant up hanging baskets and tubs with hardy autumn and winter bedding. Well, we are going to do that, so aren't we? We are. But not just yet, because we've still got some flowers in them. I haven't got the heart to pull out all my summer flowers that are still looking beautiful. Well, if they're looking good, why chuck them out? We paid a lot of money for them. Let's get the best out of them. People seem to do that. They seem to think, okay, now we must move on quickly. And I just think we've got to keep what we've got going as long as we can, because it's, you pay a lot of money to do these things. And while they're surviving, keep them going. Exactly. While we've got a nice warm autumn, let's make the best of it. And then we can change over and put our cyclamen in. That's right. Time also to start clearing up the autumn leaf fall. Collect the leaves, they can be very good to make compost. Lightly fork over borders so they absorb autumn rainfall quickly and efficiently so it doesn't run off elsewhere and take nutrients away with it. And continue deadheading while the flowers are still flowering. Regular lawn mowing is also still required at this time of year and raise the height of the cut if it is very dry, although... Sometimes we get a lot of rain this time of year. We have, I think, had the driest September for, what was it, 10 years? It's been very dry this year. Very, very dry. Remarkably so. And finally, trim border edges after you've mowed the lawn. In the vegetable garden. And in the vegetable garden for this time of year, you can sow seeds inside of lettuce and sow seeds outside of radish. And it is definitely the harvest season, so you can be harvesting things like beetroot, carrots, Swiss chard, spinach, cauliflower, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, turnips, lettuce, sweet corn, runner beans, tomatoes, courgettes, swede, French beans, aubergine, peppers, leeks, cucumber, pumpkins and radish. I'm sure I've missed some out. There must be others. There must be lots more. (laughs) Yes, it's a beautiful time, isn't it? Harvest time. Plants of note. Now, plants of note for October. First off, we have Amelanchia lamarckii, which is also called the June berry, sometimes also known as snowy mespolus. This is a hardy, deciduous, small tree or shrub with an average growth rate. It can grow quite tall, up to 10 metres and 10 metres spread, and likes full sun or partial shade. Soil-wise, it likes fertile, moist but well-drained, neutral to acidic soil. And its flowers, it has snowy white star-shaped flowers from March till April. And when the tree is in full flower, it looks absolutely beautiful in the springtime. It does. It's very pretty. But you'd need a lot of space for a tree like that. Ten metre tree, you would Mm. need a decent sized garden, yes. It has fruits which are reddish purple and are liked by birds, so it's a very good tree for the wildlife. The foliage is bronze-tinged, maturing to an orange and red in autumn, which is why it's one of our plants of note for this time of year. It again has the RHS Award of Garden Merit and is generally pest-free. Again, the leaves look very similar to the Unonymous. They do, don't they? That sort of bronze-orangey colour. It's amazing to see how the tree looks in spring and then changes into the autumn colours. In springtime, it's just festooned with little white flowers, isn't it? It just makes you realise how beautiful nature is. Beautiful and immensely complex, yeah. 
Secondly, this month we have Cotinus grace, which is called the smoke bush. This is a large, hardy, deciduous shrub. It has a vigorous, fast growth rate and can grow up to 6 metres tall and 5 metres spread. It does like full sun, though. Soil-wise, it likes moderately fertile, moist and well-drained soil, and its flowers are tiny purple-pink in a frothy sort of plume, which gives it its name smokebush, because it looks like a cloud of smoke when the tree is full in flower from July to August. What do you think of the flowers there, Sue? Amazing. It does look like smoke, doesn't it? From a distance, it looks like smoke is emanating from the centre of the shrub. The shrub is really a dark colour, isn't it? Yes, reminds me a bit colour-wise of the leaves of Berberis. Definitely. It's got the same colouring. The leaves are quite large, though, 10 centimetres long, oval in shape. But the rich purple colour, it does turn red in autumn as well, so it gives a bit more colour in the autumn months. Very pretty. And again, this tree, maintenance-wise, fairly easy. In spring, remove any diseased or crossing branches. And just like any pruning in the springtime, after you've done it, apply a generous mulch of well-rotted garden compost or manure around its base. That's a good tip for any small tree or shrub in the spring. Forthcoming garden Now, forthcoming garden and flower shows for October. October really is the end of the year, so there's only one more to go. This is from the 7th to the 8th of October, and it is the RHS London Autumn Harvest Festival Show. We've never done a London show like that. No, maybe next year. (laughs) (laughs) There's so many to do. We seem to spend so many days tripping up and down the country, don't we? But they're all different. That's what makes it interesting. They had their own unique character, don't they? Exactly. Because we went to the Malvern Autumn Show with friends that have never done a flower show. And they were asking me if that was the same as Chelsea. And you can't compare the two. Chalk and cheese. Yeah, absolutely. Chelsea has all the show gardens. Exactly. And May is a time when so many plants are in flower. Very different. They're all very different. And again, different types of the year. Your spring, your summer, your autumn shows are showing off the season what they've got then like this time last year when we went to the harrogate autumn show we saw the gentiana for the first time we'd never seen those before we were so impressed we bought some and that's doing really well in the pot in the garden isn't it and it is nice to have such a vivid color in the garden at this time of year indeed so that's about it for this episode If you'd like to leave us a rating on iTunes and let us know how we're doing or if there's anything you think you'd like us to cover in future episodes, you can get to us via plantadvice.co.uk slash iTunes. The show notes and links for plants for this episode you can find at plantadvice.co.uk slash episode 19. And you can follow us online if you'd like at plantadvice on Twitter or facebook.com slash plantadvice. So that is all for us for October. Thank you ever so much for listening, and I hope you'll listen again next month. Until then, it is goodbye from me. And goodbye from me. And while the weather does hold out, keep enjoying your garden. This podcast was brought to you by plantadvice.co.uk for all your gardening needs.